0: Welcome to our special Money in Esports series on Sports Geek. In this episode, I host a panel discussion with some of the esports OGs about esports in Australia.
1: Welcome to Sports Geek, the podcast built for sports digital and sports business professionals. And now, here's your host, whose gaming career was far shorter and less distinguished than his sports playing career, Sean Callinan.
0: Thanks, DJ Joel. Yes, my name is Sean Cullinan and you are listening to Sports Geek with a special eSports presentation, Money in eSports. This is content from our Money in eSports event. This episode, we'll be diving into eSports in Australia where I'm joined by guests Chris Schubert from Riot Games, Michael Carmody from Legacy eSports Club and Adelaide Football Club and Frank Lee from Chiefs eSports Club. I really do hope you enjoy this conversation. But before we get into it, I just want to remind you that Melbourne Esports Open will be happening this Saturday and Sunday. If you want to attend and join us, um, we'd love to see you there. Uh, We're actually running a Melbourne Esports Open guided tour. If you want a bit of a tour of the Melbourne Esports Open precinct, understand a little bit more about esports and gaming, um, I'd love to be able to host you on our guided tour with my Esports general manager Brandon Defina, a former pro player himself. Um, and you'll learn a little bit about what we discuss in this panel today. To book in for that guided tour, uh, simply go to sgesports.com MEO tour. Here is my chat talking esports in Australia with Chris Schubert, Michael Carmody, and Frank Lee. I want to move forward and see if we can have our panel discussion about eSports in Australia. So if my panellists could please come on up. Uh, Chris Schubert, who I've already shared out before, uh, from Riot Games. Michael Carmody from Legacy and Adelaide Football Club. Frank Lee from Chiefs eSports Club. And we will... Get to the right spot. You can all move down one. I can move wherever you like. Can we stop the music and they'll sit down? <laughs> all right. You remember got a mic? And then if the mic is green, it's on. If you press the button.
2: Yep, test, test. Hey,
3: I don't have a green light though, Hello? so I'm confused.
0: Ellie's got us sorted. Ellie will wave if... Uh, if it doesn't. So I want to, get to So first of all, introductions. Can you please, if I just go down, explain uh, what you do and where you work?
2: Sure, I'll kick off. Yeah. I'm Chris Schubert. I work at Riot Games Oceania. So uh, I lead the esports team uh, for Australia, New Zealand and the surrounding islands, which we consider as part of uh, Oceania. Um, we run the Oceanic Pro League, which, um, as Sean mentioned, um, is a part of, as well as seven other professional owners. Um, we, we kind of oversee all the way through a grassroots ecosystem, uh, including high school, university, um, your sort of jersey flag, reserve grade style um, uh, competitions, and all the way through to the professionals, which uh, end up cascading up into the, um, the world's competitions where they, they compete with the best teams around the world.
3: Michael? Cool. I am Michael Carmody. I originally was business managing Legacy, one of the eight teams. In 2017, uh, Nigel Smart convinced us to join the Adelaide Crows and they wholly acquired Legacy at that point. And I have been consulting, assisting with the Adelaide management on their continued journey in esports. True. And Frank. Uh, So my name is Frank and I'm the owner and founder of the Chiefs Esports Club. We
4: play in Chris's league. Uh, We beat Sean's team last week uh, in the OP. Wow. Oh, we're Um, going there straight away. So, yes, I founded the club back in 2014 um, and we recently were acquired by a parent company named Icon Esports and just continuing uh, as we go.
0: So one thing I did want to uh, ask to open up, both Frank and MJ, like I'm, you know, League of Legends, uh, Chris's League of Legends. What other, as I I did the slide before, what other titles um, are you involved in across what you do with Legacy and Chiefs?
3: Look, I'll lean into it the wrong way, but I think I've lost to Frank in Rocket League, CSGO. <laughs> I don't think you were ever in Smite. Um, a little bit. A little bit, <laughs> once upon a time. But there's a few titles around that we're in. Uh, Fortnite, I think you guys and our guys actually play together. Uh, what else off the top of my head? Starcraft's all out. I haven't seen you in Starcraft yet, Frank. <laughs>
0: no, and what and about yourself? What? Just in Hearthstone as well. In Hearthstone. Yeah. And what uh, titles are the Chiefs in, Frank?
4: Uh, so we're currently in League of Legends, CSGO, Rocket League, Fortnite, uh, and PUBG. Um, so <clears throat> as an esports club, it's obviously a lot more flexible than some of your more traditional sports organisations. Um, Sean's graph earlier was a really good demonstration of the fact that everyone plays a variety of games. Everyone has sort of their main titles, and we try and target sort of the bigger, um, the bigger
0: ones, and, and we're mostly a, a PC-focused club as well. So that was that was one of the things that is the different I guess demographics of the different titles do you, MJ what are the how do you sort of uh, put them all in different buckets of the different titles and how the fan bases are uh, can be really similar or completely different?
3: It's very much a, a target audience so. Probably the worst, best analogy to do this is TV shows on the network. If you were going to buy TV airtime, you'd pick which TV show you wanted to be in the advertisement slots of. And so for that is the way I approach a lot of titles. League of Legends tends to skew 16 to 22, roughly. A bit older. CSGO is definitely a much older demographic, ranging all the way up to 30. Rocket League, very young. 14 to 18 uh, from that point of view. So pick your title, pick your engagement. Fortnite is a weird phenomenon at the moment but tends to skew fairly young uh, for where these sort of things are. So where I'm looking at is for our commercial opportunities, for our commercial partners, uh, what ad space, what billboard am I providing for them by being in specific titles? Yep. So,
0: Chris, from a from a publisher point of view, right, so Riot Games produces League of Legends, the most played pc game in the world um you know 100 you've got 100 million players so where does esports fit for right games and why is esports
2: like important to right games yeah it's an interesting one because it's it's been a bit of a journey um i think you know to begin with right kicked off esports um uh, in a in a little hall with some of the best players as a as a means of promoting the game um, they ended up with hundreds of thousands of people watching from all around the world uh, and they were literally playing on trestle tables with sticky tape holding up table cloths. And this uh, is this is like twenty two thousand eleven. 2011, yeah. I think it might have been. So really early days. Uh, I think it was at a dream hack. Um, and then the next year they decided to scale up, moved it to an to a, a, a actual stadium, filled it up uh, and the, the numbers went from hundreds of thousands to millions of viewers. Um, so... Starting off with that way, it's, it, it quickly made a, a, a case for being a separate product within what we do. Um, and Riot's an example of a publisher who, who do a lot more than just creating games and shipping them to market. Um, a lot of what we do is around servicing those games and continuing to make sure they're relevant. Um, League of Legends is, is, is in its 10th year of existence this year um, and kicking on strong, as strong as ever. Um, and I think to me, it's, it's a matter of everything that we do outside of just making a game that keeps it healthy. Um, And esports is is one of those major components. So, you know, prompting an ecosystem where there's professional players, finding the best players in and all around the world, um, and everything that flows all the way through there from organised practice to what you can do in your local high school competition, your university, joining these semi-pro teams and aspiring to become a professional player. Um, It all adds to that depth of engagement in and around the game. Um, and is, is evolving to be, a, a, you know, bigger than the game. So we're, we're quite often seeing League of Legends players these days as they kind of age out of the game. They, they get their their first sort of professional job. They don't have as much time anymore. They still hang around and follow the esports um, because they can connect with the game. They've recognised the players. Um, and, you know, between uh, Frank and Mike, Mike's organisations, Chiefs and Legacy have been involved with the OPL since its inception um, and they've got some of the strongest fan bases because they're they're still they're still engaging with these players um, who used to follow who followed their team right from the get go, even if they don't play the game anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean for that example that you said before, the 2011, you know, and you can look it up on the internet. There's those pictures of trestle tables, and then you know six seven years later, you're filling out. Staples, Staples Center in LA, and it's selling out in in a matter of minutes. And yeah, we're talking under you know under ten years as far as the growth
2: of esports as a as a thing. Yeah, one of the beauties, I guess, um, is that as the publisher of the game, you're still making money from people playing the game. So you know, we tipped pretty heavily into. Building out esports quickly and professionalizing it, and and bringing it to um, to to the scale that it is now. But yeah, I mean, I went along to um, Beijing at the um, the Bird's Nest in 2017 to watch that live final, and it's just like China is just phenomenal. Yeah. But watching the the scale of that all around the world is just it's been it's amazing to see how quickly it's come.
0: So uh, MJ uh, Michael or MJ as he's known, um, part of the professional. Sports scene is how do you get there? And, you know, we have the Oz Kicks and the, and the, and the socceroos have, have mini roos and the like to help develop players. And so, to get the next path, you know, the pathway of the next esports stars, we need to provide support there. Part of what you're doing with Adelaide um, is Meta. Uh, do you want to explain what, I guess, what Meta is and what it means to
3: esports in Australia? I will quickly diverge into history. Uh, Historically, if we want to find players, and I know Frank would have done this, you found your players by playing the game. And, you know, we basically there was a very direct scouting. It was friends of friends. It was people you knew. And basically to get into a pro team, you more or less had to know someone or impress someone who was already on a team. So extremely hard, very small group. Also, you're shutting out a lot of potential talent. Uh, So the dream has always been grassroots development, and Riot has been doing a multitude of grassroots developments over the years. Uh, But one of the things that Adelaide uh, did, and because they're very familiar uh, with the grassroots OzKick type development, is that we lent very, very hard, basically into high school esports. So we're now into our second year of what is essentially inter-school esports. We have three titles, we have thousands of players, we have hundreds of schools. Uh, we're now running in New Zealand and Australia, uh, and very much what it's, we're doing is that we're providing that validation piece in high school. The kids play games. The kids. in high schools, but the idea of I can play a computer game competitively, do all the teamwork, do all the growth, the communication, all of the things that have genuine benefits, but you've got to get it past a principal or a year-level coordinator where it's just kids playing computer games. Uh, But when you get a letter from Nigel Smart from Adelaide Crow saying we're putting our weight behind this, we see value to it, Uh, we have to have many, many conversations with teachers, we have many technical conversations on... How you get around Department of Education firewalls to play League of Legends. Yep. But there's a whole development piece that we have to go through. But it's been a resounding success, to be honest. And we've seen some good key commercialisations, which is going to continue to fund that investment. Uh, but we have a very healthy high school intersports scene uh, that is, uh, to be honest, I wish I had when I was in high school. And so, what titles does Meta play across? Uh, League of Legends is our flagship title. Very much we get a a significant amount of support from Riot Games and and we – find it really easy to engage with. Uh, We, again, if you remember me talking about Rocket League and its age demographic, Rocket League is very popular in high schools. Uh, So we have a a fairly large uh, Rocket League set up as well. And a new title just this season we've been looking at uh, is to go more to the traditional video game in sports. And we're now doing NBA 2K as a title, which has been an interesting learning experience because, uh, and to lean to something... Frank said earlier about being a PC title, eSports e- has predominantly been based on the PC platform, uh, NBA is very much a console platform, which yeah. is a whole new set of challenges. Yeah. I mean, Effectively Meta offers schools the same, uh,
0: I guess, the same uh, carrot and stick that uh, traditional sport does. You've got to keep up your grades to play in the cricket team or the football team. Now you have to do the same to be able to oh, play
3: in your eSports absolutely team. Absolutely love it. We had a teacher who literally said, I want you to change week sixes win to a loss. They didn't do their homework, so they're forfeiting the game. <laughs> and I'm like, you go, teacher. Oh, yeah. And I was like, great, because it literally ties into the life of the school. It goes yeah. into everything that makes uh, part of their normal community. And eSports isn't an escape. It isn't an aberration. It isn't a breaking of the rules. It is very much a normal competition aspect that you see in every other grass spot.
2: Chris? Yeah, one of the um, so, yeah, Michael and and, um, the team at at Legacy have been fantastic with, um, you know, working with us at least. Um, uh, I can't speak for the other titles on the the high school program. Um, It's it's something that for for Riot we get the opportunity as the publisher local to this region to sort of help these guys, you know, doing behaviour checks on their players. Are these kids who are playing the game carrying on, you know, in a way that the teacher wouldn't be happy with. And we were able to kind of um, close the loop on providing sort of behaviour checks on these players and sparking these sort of real discussions that would typically get from a, a sports coach or, or something like that as these players are being part of teams. And so we're able to kind of work with these guys to um, actually make a difference to what, what these kids are getting through their education if they don't engage with traditional sports, um, you know, whether whether it's just not something that they're into or they're not good enough. Um, and typically they'll, they'll, we've found some really increased in attendance rates engagement with school um all the way as well as at the university level so it's it's yeah it's been really interesting
0: so frank i want to move from the high school uh, piece to uh working with brands right you've had a team for a, for a long while um how has that conversation with brands and the different kinds of brands changed over the years like working for, uh, with the with the chiefs and and getting brands involved with what you're trying to do
4: uh, well, it's definitely gotten a lot easier over the years. Um, I think we've noticed a pretty clear shift to uh, us taking the initiative and speaking to brands compared to brands sort of coming to us. Um, but I mean, the challenge always is it, it's hard to quantify what we can provide, um, particularly because uh, it's such a fast-changing industry as well, um, and we don't necessarily have the access to the kind of data that um, particular lot of these developers and you know platforms and stuff sort of want to want to keep keep to themselves. Um, and in terms of engaging with them, I think it's been about, for the first few years, it was more an education piece. Yep. Show them, tell them what we do, uh, like even sort of explain to them like day-to-day exactly what we do. Um, to now, it's more so, okay, how do we cut through a lot of the noise that's actually appearing in, in, in this industry? Because everyone wants to get involved, but no one really wants to get involved like, you know, in the nitty-gritty. Um, so the challenge for us has been more on execution rather than actually convince them to hop
0: on board. So is that I mean recently and congratulations signing up U Foods as a as a as a partner. Um, What does that you know? What were the key things that they were looking for from a deliverable point of view? Why were they? Why did they want to associate with Chiefs? What were you saying you could deliver them? Um, What were some of the key parts of that deal?
4: Uh, I mean, aside from the obvious, the things that you touched on in terms like demographic, uh, reaching an audience. Uh, that you know, many of these guys can't reach organically through TV or traditional advertising. Um, there's just a lot of synergies with their product and their brand and what they do with our audience. Uh, you know, a focus on convenience, a focus on you know health and well-being. Um, you know, probably can't tell looking at me, but my my team is very fit. You know, very very much focused on on you know. Lifestyle and well being, and going to the gym and eating right, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the fact that these synergies were there, and it was obvious to them like it, it, that wasn't the part that we needed to convince them on. It was more so, okay, how can we best execute to our audience and, and get your message across and, and convert that into sales? Um, that was sort of the harder part. So in terms of, like, convincing them that, you know, this partnership made sense, like,
0: that was that was pretty much the easiest part for us. And is it part for you guys, uh, part, hey, this is us, this is our team, this is what we're producing, but then also developing your own stars in, like, Brandon uh, uh, Big Swips or Swiper, as he's known in game, to be such a leader in that space. He's always talking about, uh, um, you know, he's always hitting the gym, um, he's eating well, he's running, he's pretty much dragging all your team around the track. Um, you know, and now he's the new Headspace ambassador. Is him as an influencer help you, you know, put that message out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
4: the, the way I see esports teams, that well, we essentially are an influencer ourselves, I feel like as a brand, and the players and the pros that we work with are, are influencers to a degree, maybe not to the scale in terms of numbers of some of the uh, traditional sort of YouTubers, but, but the fact that they're excelling and, and achieving like what they're achieving and, and doing the best of what they do like that you know obviously has an influence on on the audience um, I've obviously been very lucky to work with a lot of really great players I'm um, really successful players um, but you know, I think it's also part of a philosophy where, like, I came from a traditional sports. Like, you know, when I first moved to Australia, like, traditional sports was what helped me sort of like assimilate into Australian culture. Yep. Um, and I got into esports like because, like, I love competition, right? Like, that's essentially the basis of what esports is. Like, when you strip everything away, it's competition, right? Um, so our mentality and our philosophy, like, I've always learned and looked up to like a lot of the, the traditional sports clubs that I followed, um, and I've been really sort of keen on. Like the way I see it, right, is if if someone who comes through the Chiefs and comes through the Chiefs program is a better person at the other end of it, then like we've done we've done well. Right. So it's sort of like we, we try not to look at, you know, a lot of really specifics like how you know, where can we squeeze, you know, some dollars out of what Brandon is. Yeah. Uh, you know, you sort of you make the effort and you take the initiative first to like, okay, am I proud to have this guy on my team? And then everything will sort of follow.
0: So one of the things, one of the uh conundrums that faces that sports face um, whether it be basketball um, or football or soccer in this country um, they're probably two good examples they have a lot of people playing their game you know a lot of people play basketball um, a lot of people play football but they're not necessarily fans of the sport they're not going to League games not going to to NBL games um, I think the NBL is doing better re- more recently but like it's a it's a common problem in the world of sport so that's not too dissimilar to, to esports and gaming. You've got all these people playing games, and this is a question to the panel: um, How do you convert gamers and make them become esports fans?
3: Who wants to take? Who wants to take that uh, grenade?
2: Uh, if I had the answer to that one, we. Uh- <laughs>
3: This has been the number one conversation that I've had with uh, Belkin and Ringers. Ringers is hiding around here somewhere, isn't he? I don't today. Uh, I've had business discussions with these guys, and we actually have a huge, like a couple hundred thousand people who have accounts in Australia on League of Legends. Somewhere around there? No, not
2: confirming that. We, that's one of the ones <laughs> which we don't share.
3: Uh, Past of that 100
2: million monthly players around the world. Yep.
3: Around the world. There, there is a specific number, uh, which is assumed, uh, for Australian players. But the play, people who actually watch an eSports broadcast are a fraction of that, single-digit percent fraction of that. So we know that there is a – it's gotten a lot better. Uh, we, we know that there is an – the point I'm trying to make, there is an unrealised potential of players – that are not fans it is the, the thing that I'm coming through. Mm. The exact numbers of that are yeah. <laughs> to be decided. So it's, a, it's
2: an interesting one as the publisher because at the end of the day, we want people playing the game. Mm. But if they're taking part in esports and they're following Gravitas, they're following Chiefs, they're engaging with, um, with Carbon or with um, Swiper or with you know, whoever it might be from these sort of influential people in and around the scene, they, get a, they build a depth of connection to the, the title and to the the sport that they follow, you know, following the comp- at the at its, at its bones through, watching the best players from our region, potentially aspiring to be one of them, you know, going on to compete internationally, joining other teams internationally. The depth of engagement is is what you know what esports brings to the game from a publisher perspective. So for us, it's it's the same it's the same challenge. We want everybody engaging with with what we're what we're bringing out. And for, to me, the solution is around how we bring content, how we support these guys in becoming influencers, bringing um, their personality and their stories to life for people to attach to, like you would in with a, with a football player that you follow or a team that you follow, um, and then giving them a platform to be able to sort of, yeah, build their own fan bases, you know, supported by the teams.
0: Frank, what about yourself? Do you think things like uh, more events like Melbourne Esports Open, uh, getting to see players on the big stage, that kind of thing... You know, helps. You guys were on the stage last year. You're hoping to be there this year. Uh, Currently in the one seed. Yes, you did beat us last week. Congratulations. You think the events are a key part of building, connecting gamers and making them fans? Um, I definitely think they are a part of it. Um, Some of our
4: sort of most loyal and and dedicated fans that have been with us for for a long time were brought on from those events. Uh, You know, 2015 was Lunar Park, 2016. Uh, it was Brisbane, Brisbane um, you know, Chiefs have been at every live domestic grand final uh, in Oceania since the start of the OPL. Um, so I definitely think those have had a really significant impact on on what we do. Um, but again, like if we had the answer to that question, like we wouldn't be sitting here, you know what I mean? Like, And like, I think you touched on a really good point at the start in your intro when you said esports is essentially a niche within gaming, which is sort of a niche within like pop culture, anyway. Um, even though you know, I saw something, and don't quote me on this, but it was like the gaming industry in Australia is bigger than like movies and music combined. But if 100 percent of gaming fans were esports fans, then you know, I'd be, I'd be cheering, you know. Like, yeah. Um, but the 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 way I always see it is like, you know, I because I come from very much from like an experience background. Um, games that succeed in the esports side of things tend to be the ones that have the best longevity. You see Counter-Strike, League of Legends, StarCraft. They're all games that are over a decade old. Um, and a lot of the titles that sort of fade away into obscurity are the ones that don't have that competitive component to it. Um, and esports players, to me, they're the flagship. They're the, sort of the flag bearers of those titles. They're, they're the kind of people that, that everyone looks up to. You know what I mean? And, and it's it's exactly the same as any other traditional sport. I was a big rugby union fan growing up. Um but now, you know, I'm, I apologize to any rugby union fans in, in the audience. You're the one. It's, yeah, it's just... You're the one that's left. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> you know, I, I love the Waratahs and now I'm just depressed, like, thinking about them. Um, but they were the ones who inspired me to follow, you know, rugby union, to play, you know, union in high school, to play union sir like, subbies, you know, in, in union and things like that. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're the ones that I look up to. Um, and I think that's where sort of esports' place is within gaming as a whole is a... You're inspiring people, and be like you're fostering longevity in your titles because people see, you know, a practical pathway. And there's like new entertainment coming through. Like there's only so much content you can make on a game. Yep. Um, the new stuff that comes through is storylines, passion, emotion, everything that's driven by competition. Uh, if you don't have that, then you know,
0: don't have it. And that's that's what I th- I see. You know, the reason you know I went to Chris and bid for a team was I saw esports being very similar to when I started Sports Geek. When I started Sports Geek, there's all these digital fans engaging on the platforms and they weren't quite connected with the sport or the team. They're like, hey, you know, I went to Collingwood and said, all the fans are over there on Facebook. That's where they're talking about. You're not connected. And for all the big numbers that you see in eSports, I think getting that connection right is still the opportunity and the amount of content that we can push to those fans. Um, We haven't seen sports fans go, sorry, we're full. We don't want any more. And I think that opportunity still exists in eSports. And the other thing is I think the difference between the Western world and Asia in the way it consumes esports, again, I'm not an expert on it, but, again, talking to people, the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Asian regions are looking at it as entertainment and it's more in the reality TV and they're following it for entertainment, whereas we, uh, here in, in, in America, it's like a sports report. Like, again, I showed you the broadcast and it looked like Friday Night Footy because that it's, been, oh, it's, it's called eSport and a big part of that word is sport and we'll produce it like that. And I think there's a bit of a how do we mesh both of those together that, that potentially happens both in this market and other markets um, that, that fans will draw them in on the stories, right? Again, working with AFL stars and telling them and helping them understand how to do social, the ones that succeeded were talking about other things than football. Right? and then they became more interesting, and then you draw in and you follow that player harder. You know, I'm sure there's people that are following uh, Swiper because of what he's doing
3: off the rift. Well, just to add to one final thought to that, is that it has been a very multi-pronged approach. Uh, we see the publisher putting out content. Uh, publisher is actually when a random player loads up the client and the league is live on Twitch, they will actually put up a little pop-up. Hey, There's a game on. And so for the random playing gamer, they're getting some of that exposure. And that's been a lot of good work. It's been done over the last couple of years. Uh, Chiefs and Legacy have put a lot of effort, and I think both of us are doing pretty good around content around our players telling our players stories pushing all of that stuff through uh because that we know that narrative is what the fans want to engage with and then going back to the early thing is that grassroots approach where mum gets a permission form for son to play in league of legends high schools is almost an awareness piece in a weird sort of way and then overarching all of that we come back to that thing it's been ten years if that is a product, and if we had to sit here and go, oh, we expect AFL or rugby numbers in ten years, then we're deluding ourselves. But there is growth. The growth is rapid because everything in this day and age moves faster. But we're still, this is still a long haul piece, and we're still only in the very beginning steps of it.
0: Yeah, like so. that's. I do love when I, you know, you guys are OGs in the esports space, and people say, "I've been doing this for ages," and and you know, it's under ten years. You know, and it's still so new and, you know, that's where I think there's still so many opportunities uh, that, 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 that are available. Frank, you had a point?
4: Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, like, I think what Michael said is a big one. Like, in my experience, like, I was going to say I've been involved for a long time, but you just said it, so <laughs> it's going to sound a bit weird. But I, I feel like a lot of people are sort of jumping the gun and skipping a lot of steps these days. And, and people are looking at, you know, how do we engage with that audience? How do we commercialise it? blah, blah, blah? i feel like there needs to be more focus towards actually growing the audience itself like sometimes i read like some and i'm gonna be getting a bit colloquial here but like a lot of esports people tend to be quite elitist about what we have they're like you know shitting on mainstream media for like you know looking at esports like we don't need you guys like blah, blah, blah but like ultimately like our fan base is still very small compared to everything else that's out there um honestly like we should be like going out and just educating people about what esports is first. And I feel like that's a big step that a lot of people are sort of overlooking because they're like, okay, esports is a phenomenon, like yeah, there are so many people in the world play esports, like, you know, we'll be fine, let's just take take what we have now and, and roll with it. Um, but you know, you looked at your your graph there, it's like there's only like five percent of Australians on the internet like, you know, watch esports yep. and then thirteen percent of that are, are gaming. So there's already an eight percent gap there that you can capitalize on, and then there's so much more that that you can sort of bring to to the community and to the industry in general. So, for me, like I've always been really focused on driving awareness that esports is a thing, and positive awareness as well. Um, uh, but I feel like these days, like that, tends to be overlooked a little
0: bit. Because it's great to see, you know, Fortnite on the news and a kid winning three million bucks in a tournament in New York, and people going, "Cool, esports, we've made it, everybody!" Right? <laughs> Which there's a little bit of that, like you said, bit of backslapping is like, "Go, go us!" But it's not this audience now. They love it. It's the next, you know, what's it look when it doubles and it doubles again and it doubles again because that growth is there. Whereas if you're talking to the AFL or the NRL and you're saying, what's your total audience, they've reached them all. Like there's 7 million AFL fans in Australia. The AFL knows all of them and has reached them by some channel. Um, and so their, their issue is how do they keep reengaging them It's, yeah, we've got to focus on what is that next audience and where that next audience comes from, as you were saying, MJ, comes from gamers, which I think is the easiest. That's the, you know, low-hanging fruit if you've got your bingo card there, right, the low-hanging fruit is to go after the gamers. But then we're also going to get people that, You know, I know know I've introduced them because I've got a team. I said, watch our games. And now they're like watching our games. They have no idea what the game is. They've never played the game, but they're watching it because the personalities, the commentary, the storylines, all of that, and they're just becoming a fan. So that, you know, we've got
3: those two fans that we can go and, uh, grow the leagues. My wife as well. Like, she's, I think, played one game of League of Legends. I may have been overly harsh at her, and she's never played again. Uh, but she still watches. You? Uh, really? I, she anyway. wasn't last hitting properly, Sean, okay? Uh, but, yeah, so it was... A, uh, You can get anyone interested because the quality of the product with what the OPL broadcast is. The casters, and these are your typical broadcasters, your cricket commentators, your football commentators, these are the people there that are explaining and doing it well. They put so much work and professionalism into the product that they deliver that you can, as a complete unknowing person, get a very distinct impression of what's going on. League of Legends has a learning curve like a cliff. You're not going to learn it sitting down one afternoon. Uh, Very good game. Thoroughly enjoy it. You know, download at Um But it is very much a uh, – the product has been refined and the art of casting it and the art of communicating to it. The, these guys are like – I think what Riot Oceania's office has done and the promotion of casting talent, because uh, we have Australian casters in Korea, China – Europe, America, uh, pretty much everywhere because we've put a lot of effort into making the product easy to understand and well-communicated. And we've seen, I believe, really big dividends there.
0: Well, thanks for spoiling the broadcasting panel, MJ. (laughs) Um, That that gives it a good time. Can everyone please thank uh, my panel, the first panel of today? Um, Thank you very much, guys.
1: New workshops on audience, content, distribution, valuation, and pitch following Sports Geek's Digital to Dollars process. Go to digitaltodollars.com.
0: Thanks again to Frank, MJ, and Chris. Uh, There will be links in the show notes uh, at sportsgeekhq.com slash 244 or sgesports.com. But send a tweet to Chief Sangi, Chief underscore Sangy, MJ Carr, or a right welcome to tell them that you'd listened to this episode. As always, if you want to chat esports, you can simply go to sgesports.com and book in a call. Um, as I said earlier, if you would like to join me at Melbourne Esports Open, simply go to slash MEO Tour. If you're new to this podcast via the world of esports, this is actually a special sub produced on Sports Geek. You can check out the Sports Geek regular feed for a bunch of podcasts talking to sports, digital technology, and eSports executives. Simply search Sports Geek in the podcast platform you choose. Until next episode, tomorrow we'll be talking with Rob Gorman from Tennis Australia about their implementation of the Fortnite Summer Smash at the Australian Open. Until then, my name is Sean Callinan, and you've been listening to Sports Geek.
1: Join Sports Geek Nation access to exclusive Slack and Facebook groups with regular Q&A sessions with Sean Callinan. Go to sportsgeeknation.com to join. Need help with your digital rate card? Not sure how to price your assets? Is there a disconnect between digital and commercial? That is where Sean works best in digital divorce counselor mode. Book a time for a call with Sean to discuss the Sports Geek process. Go to sportsgeekhq.com phonecall phone call. Go to sportsgeekhq.com for more sports digital marketing resources.